hello, 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 Tanya. How are you? And how are you? I am doing okay. You know, it is a rough world out there. And I was actually telling somebody the other day, I'm actually a little tired because I have to keep explaining stuff about what it's like to be Black in America or Black in the world or what have you. So on one hand, I'm a bit tired. Yeah, I I know that feel. I, you know, it's funny because I try to tell people, like they ask me, I'm that weird of be like, actually, I'm not great. And you get that awkward, oh, I thought we were doing the small talk thing. And I'm like, (laughs) no. You asked me, I'm giving you an answer. Yeah, yeah. Then And on, on this podcast, and usually I tell people, oh, I'm very cheery. I mean, I'm this unapologetically Black unicorn who's like got all this energy and blah, blah, uh-huh. blah. And I do. And sometimes, you know, we get deep. Well, actually, many times we get, we get pretty deep. Um, at the same time, you know, I like to try to keep my energy up. So we've just started launching, and I have not really let you introduce yourself because I don't really introduce people. So you know what? I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who are you? Oh, I'm someone who doesn't sleep a lot. Uh, (laughs) But online, I'm Cypher Tier. I do do a lot of TTRPG content. I'm on two official D&D shows. I'm making a TTRPG with an amazing uh, crew of PSC creators called Into the Motherlands. I stream on Twitch. I do diversity, equity, inclusion consulting. I do some writing, I do nerdy stuff, I make dice as a hobby, and I'm suffering through a foot of snow in, in Chicago right now, so oh, yeah. that's what I do. Wow, and so when I first met you, it was actually at Comic-Con in San Diego, and uh, you invited me to come watch a live stream while I was sitting in the room live with other yeah. people, right? Um, that was the first time, at least for me, that I've seen a cast of people of color playing a TTPR, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen it, which is, yes, really. So, you know, I I have my nerdy side, but sometimes it's like not as nerdy as could nerdy could be. (laughs) Right. Um, And, um, you know, we've been using um, tabletop role-playing games in a therapeutic way within the work I do in, in, in mental health. So I have a deep interest in the games, not a real deep interest, no offense to D&D people, Dungeons and Dragon folks, but I could never get into Dungeons and Dragons because it was like about a bunch of people and in a time that where, where was I represented in all of that? So I could never really get into it, even from a fantasy standpoint. But um, what game was it that you all were playing that I saw? Do you remember? That was Into the Motherlands. We actually- um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we were we did a live show. It was our first time playing the game live anywhere. Uh, we were using the same mechanics that we used on the stream show on my Twitch channel. And it was a chance to kind of get it out of the box, I guess, as it were, because uh-huh. people have only experienced it watching it on the Twitch stream or listening to the podcast. Uh-huh. And we've never had a chance to do a live show because this all launched during the pandemic. And it was nice, one, to be where it was warm because it's cold in Chicago, mm-hmm. but two, just a chance to be on stage and and play the game in person with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Everyone except for Marquia is also involved in making the game that we're working on right now. So mm-hmm. it was also a good kind of proof of concept to be out in front of people and playing it. Yeah, yeah. And can you explain a little bit what what the game is about, sort of the land and the history and the, yeah, just explain a little bit about what it is. Um, so Into the Motherlands is, is Afrofuture sci-fi and the premise is that the humans, well, they're not called humans in the game, but 
the people that that a lot of us play are descendants of Mansa Musa, who's who's an actual historic figure, and we kind of hand wave timey wimey Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> the historical fact of he sent a a group of people out, I think headed for the Americas, and they never got there. So we we did the what if they wound up through this wormhole or however they got there and landed on this planet that we have na- now named Rutoa. And that was 3000 years prior to the story we're telling on the stream. So in that time, they've integrated into the culture, the society, the planet, and there's all kind of indigenous cultures. There's all kind of groups that are endemic to Vitoa, but Vitoa is one planet and a whole system. And um, our story just takes place initially on Vitoa and our characters are part of like any other TTRPG, a group of adventurers and, you know, we spent a little bit of time on the planet. We spent some time out in space. And what you saw at SDCC was kind of a in-between or the end of our third episode, our third season, and what we hope will soon be a fourth season. You know, it's a fun sci-fi romp because we want to make a game that we would have liked to see or play when we were kids. And, you know, we're it's unapologetically Black is unapologetically brown and wonderful. And, you know, we're very clear on, yes, it is an all POC crew creating this, but we're telling, we're telling a sci-fi story. If this isn't like a, it's just for black folks, nobody else can touch it because then that leaves out, you know, everyone who's not black. And we just want to tell a story with our lens. And the main, the two takeaways are there's no history of colonialism there's no history of slavery. And so that's why instead of having some alternate reality where this never happened, it's just, we just said, we're putting everything on a whole new system, planet, solar system. This is all new. It was really interesting that you were saying, you know, this is not a game just for Black people. And um, I remember when I heard you speak, I think it was at PAX, yeah, it was, where, uh, you know, there was this, this panel. And this is where I was like, okay, you know, I really have to have this person on my podcast because you were so unapologetic. And it was like, you took control of this room and said, no, we are not going to have this. So if you're going to do this, like, don't even get up and ask a question, or maybe you want to leave or whatever. It's like, we're not going to play this right here. This is what, this is how we're going to do it. These are the, the rules of engagement and please pay attention to the rules of engagement. And I think one of the things you laid out, or maybe it was a question that came from, from the audience, but it was about, well, can, can, can white people play this game? And it's like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and I, I think you were trying to help people understand sort of where does that question come it, from? It, well, it's, I was going to say it's funny, but there's actually nothing funny about it. So the day that we were able to finally announce, because we were working hand in hand with Twitch to kind of announce the show and everything else. And when we announced just even the stream, and then we talked about the plans to then make an actual game like that you could play eventually. There were people going, but I'm white. Can I play this? And it's like, here we go. Because you and I know that if either one of us got on social media or had said in our lives, well, can I play D&D? I'm black. You would have got either people to go, no, it's not for you because we know that it's racist o'clock somewhere at all times. Or we've got the, of course you could play. Why would you think you couldn't play like the, the I don't see color mafias? I like yes. to call them uncharitably. Mm. And it's like, but I have had to play video games, tabletop games, and everything else without seeing myself for almost all of the 48 years I've been on this planet. Uh It irritates me because 
there's this weird idea that if a white person makes a property, be it Tolkien, D&D, whatever, it's obviously for everyone. How dare you want representation? But when we make something, the assumption is this is for black folks. I can't touch that. Yep. That's not for me. And I'm like, but I've had to read your shit forever. Mm-hmm. I've had to play at your table forever. And a friend of mine talks about, you know, being turned off D&D super early where I think it was second, maybe third. No, it had to be first edition or second where in the book, the paladin was the stereotypical blonde white guy with the plate armor and the shiny smile and was told by another kid who was a white dude, well, you can't play D&D. You can't be a paladin. Yeah. Yeah. But now in fifth edition, the book has a black woman. It looks like you mm-hmm. in proper armor. And she's like the iconic human. So mm-hmm. if if the people who make the game can slowly get there, there's no excuse for the nerds that I'm sure will get mad when they hear this podcast or have read what I've said online, et cetera, that will be angry and feel like we're trying to separate ourselves. But I'm like, you separate us anyway. Uh-huh. I can show up to a table and not having done anything. You know, there was um, for Pathfinder, for Paizo, there was someone who in all sincerity, put on their forums, can I make a slave trader class? And I'm like, you want to do what now? Yeah. You want to what? And they meant it. And they were like, it's fantasy. It's a game. But it's like, my people have a history of being literal property. I know I have to go back a few hundred years for it. When you think about it, it really ain't that far in terms of generations and history. Uh And so when, and I've done enough of these panels and not just the decolonizing RPG Uh panel, but, you know, these these tired 101 panels where it's like, hey, look, I'm a person too. Yeah. You need to recognize my autonomy. And we always get someone or multiple someones who stand up and go, well, I want to create a Black character, but I'm white. And, oh, I don't have any Black friends. I can ask this. And I basically try to get you to consult for free during the Q&A. Right. And it's like, these things turn into permission. Mm-hmm. Or asking for permission. And that's where I just got tired of it. It actually happened at a Gen Con a few years ago where I was on a panel. It was about diversity. And I finally just said, during the Q&A, we are not giving you permission. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. If you want to stand here and ask this question, we're not going to be your permissive Negroes, just so you know. Right. If right. that's your question, you need to sit down right now. Yeah, I call that I'm not going to be your magical negro, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where, like yeah. you suddenly bring bring the, you know, black person in and that black person is supposed to solve all problems having to do with sort of black people or yeah. at least performative at best because it's like I think that's why I was saying I was tired because you know, a lot of times in in my role in my work and in my advocacy which folks know is uh, mental health primarily a lot of times I do have to kind of say, but and how does this work in the Black community? That as we're talking about it, like how we thought about how does this work for Black and Brown people? How does this work for immigrant communities where English may not be a first language? How does this work for people with disabilities that have to get in the door that you've just kind of created a building that is no access? And you say, well, they can come in the back door, they can roll in that way. And it's like, well, who wants to get like, do you want to come in the back door? Of course you don't. Like, so really, like, and it gets tiring where I have to ask people, like, at what point is this education that you learn and you apply versus me always having to stand up for something and kind of explain you, you can too. It's okay. That's, I would say that's good allyship, but I don't think people 
wait for me, meaning, well, let's turn and see what Kara says. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. right. But it's kind of like, I'm always tired of being the one is, well, do you, did, did you not see that, that that's a panel of like, just look across the face of the panel, close your eyes and tell me, do you see people of color? If you don't, then it's, then the panel is not like, it's, it's not a diverse panel. Do you see women? Do you see, what do you see? And, um, you know, if you see it kind of all the same sort of thing, then it's not really the most diverse panel. So it does get very, very tiring. So, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be more, should I say, assertive around the expectation of what will happen in these spaces and where I don't want to be put in that place where I have to be sort of your magical Negro. Like I'm not your bag of vans, y'all. You need to go find somebody else. Who didn't go <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how did, how did you actually get into sort of like gaming and video, video games? I just, that's, that's one thing I, I, I'm not very good at that, but anyway, how did you get all into sort of the, the gaming culture? I would call it nerdy life, blurdy life. How did, how did that kind of come to you or you come to it? I was always kind of nerdy, you know, my mom kept books around the house. I was a voracious reader as a kid. And then, you know, like once tabletop came around, we've both been around since pre-home consoles. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to my video gaming. I had to go down to to the spot with my roll of quarters. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, when I was old enough, getting home consoles or going to friends' place. Um, but for tabletop especially, it was... I'm used to video games. I'm used to what I can play, but there's still a limit. There's still a sandbox. And with tabletop, there's no limit. Mm-hmm. The only limit is what me and the folks at the table can come up with. And that always appealed to me because I, I love to write a, you know, I write fanfic. I used to want to be a novelist when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's holding anyone back is their imagination. Yeah. And for me, that's always been a thing that I love to do. So people know this sort of happened in sort of, again, in the behavioral health world, in the mental health world, a lot of our peers or peer providers use games to help with social inclusion or social to address social isolation of the people we serve, particularly in community mental health. And I used to run an organization and I was told what a waste of time to um, have the peers out there playing games. We're not babies is what I was told. And I went, oh, dag. It was like a little like dagger to the heart. And I was like, oh, oh, am I treating people like babies? Or are we treating people like babies because they're playing uh, all sorts of games? They're playing, you know, dominoes and sorry. They were playing games like that. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe, the, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Let me, let me check in on this. Maybe, maybe they've got something here. So I did my undercover boss sort of thing without being terribly undercover, you know, and I went to look at some of these groups to see exactly what are people doing? What are people getting out of it? Not, is it right or wrong, but is there something that people are getting out of it? And the first thing I saw was addressing social isolation and how excited people were to come and play the games, not as excited to come for therapy, but very excited to come and play the games. So I thought that was interesting. And then I started to watch what was happening in a game and thought there's so much happening there beyond just the social, the socialization, but people were people who said that they couldn't do math are like rolling dice and doing the math in their head. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you can't do math? You just did math. I just saw you do math, right? They could, and they could strategize. So people who were told that they had uh, cognitive deficits were actually being very strategic in gameplay and figuring out like what, what way to go if they had to like a multiple kind of ways to, to make a move. 
I saw people like exhibit leadership skills. They would show up first and um, put the game, you know, put all the game pieces out and get everybody ready. I saw them helping other people. So they were actually, again, sort of a friend to somebody to make sure that they could participate in the game by helping them out if somebody in the game got stuck. And I was like, there is no way in heck I'm stopping this. There is actually no way in heck. And then I saw the creativity that people could use and how it tapped into their ability to get into this creative space and do some problem solving. That was like life-based problems that they actually encounter day-to-day, but in their day-to-day real life thought they couldn't tackle those problems, but in the game, they could. And that's the other thing I like about the creativity of um, tabletop role-playing games is that it allows you to tackle stuff that maybe you don't think like I Karis Myrick couldn't do, but maybe me as, you know, a Jalen or something, you know, I, I could actually do. Oh, and yeah. then I can go, oh, wow, if I can do it in that world, maybe I could really do it in this world. It's so funny that, you know, we're talking about this because a lot of, I have a lot of friends in the mental health space. Um, I work with Take This and What's interesting is that a lot of people without consent or without realizing it will use role play as a way to work through things. Uh-huh. And I, because that part of the social contract has never been broached with any of the groups I play with, I don't intentionally ever do that. Uh-huh. And then if something like super emotional happens, traumatic, et cetera, I try to take a step back and think about it. Like, was that me unintentionally working through something? Or did something during the game trip a memory, a moment, a feeling? Uh-huh. It's one of the things where I've never intentionally created something to work through trauma because I still feel like there, even if this is what I want to do, uh-huh. I need the consent of the person who may consume this media or who may sit at the table with me virtually or in person. Uh-huh. And safety tools are a big thing for me. So I I actually try not to work that kind of stuff out Mm -hmm. at the table, but there have been moments where it's like, oh, I got to go home and think about this. Uh uh Or an example from Motherlands, I think we brought it up on one of the panels I did about safety, where um, my mom passed in 2020. Uh And during Motherlands, one of our characters for all three seasons, uh, she became a mom, like, well, she was a mom before the show. Um, but she did something where like she was being very nurturing and and cult like she she literally said she was mobbing people and I had to like put a stop to that because that was gonna be like some trauma I didn't need to work out on screen. Yeah. Yeah. So there were things where it's like I didn't try to work stuff out, but I was very cognizant of, oh, this can go to a very bad place very quickly. So I'm so glad you brought up this idea of first of all, safety and consent. Can you say a little bit more um, about exactly what that is, you know, for people who may or may not know, because not everybody who listens to my podcast is into this sort of stuff, but they'll listen in and they'll go, wait a minute, what is that? This is really fascinating. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? It's one of the things where I feel like we we weren't good about this when I was much younger. And we didn't think about the things of don't do this at the table, be considerate of people's trauma. And so there are multiple tools now, um, one of which is the X card. Um, then some people have created X, an O and N card as well, or just like obviously not a physical card because we're all remote, but typing an X in chat if like, hey, not okay with this. We need to stop. We need to roll this back. And is like, I'm neutral. Like, I'm okay for now, but this could go either way. And then O for okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, if, so if something kind of intense is going on, the DM may just do a, hey, just checking in, throw an O in our backstage chat if you're okay with this. And if you're not, you know, feel free to DM me, throw the X card out. And the X card is a, this is your get out of this moment free card. It's like, if I as a DM storyteller, whatever nomenclature, see that come up, we're putting the brakes on this right now. Mm-hmm. What, whatever it is, and the player doesn't have to tell you. Whatever's happening in this moment is not okay for them. We can either retcon and fade to black, say, hey, we need, we, you know, however you're doing this, if you're at a home game, you can clearly just stop, take a break, order some food, do what you need to do, go in a separate room and talk. But if you're in a stream game, it's like, hey, maybe we should take a break right now. Find a way to get out of that scene for the player's comfort and Mm -hmm. then maybe take a break if feasible and go, what do you need in this moment? Do you need to step away? Do you need us to not focus on you so you can kind of recover from this moment? And then, you know, a way to kind of avoid that is asking for those lines and veils and potential trigger points before you ever sit together. And that is what's in a session zero. That is your biggest safety tool beside communication. Because even if, let's say, you, me, and a few other people get together and say, hey, we're going to run a home game. And if I'm the DM and go, okay, here is this, you know, RPG consent form. That's the name for it. Check off things that are just like red is absolutely not, not at the table, never going to fly. Yellow is, I'm up to, okay to a certain point, but at a certain point, we need to stop this. And then green is, sure, go for it. You know, a lot of people use that for, you know, trauma. You know, I, as a queer person, don't want, I don't want biphobia in the game. I don't want racism in the game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, for someone, you know, I don't want fat jokes at, at the table because uh-huh. it's not funny. And if someone at the table is going to do that, it's not just us doing this, but the people watching, yes. you know, no body shaming, stuff like that. And, you know, those are just a few of my things. And also, I'm horribly arachnophobic, which is weird considering how much Dragon Age I've played in the giant spiders. But, you know, because what I keep finding is stories, especially women and, and women-identified folks, of I stopped playing tabletop because the male DM always put me in a situation where sexual assault could happen or used it as a backstory, used it as a trauma point. And so being cognizant of what people are bringing to the table in terms of personal baggage and not even baggage, their experiences are something that you need to be mindful about, be mindful yeah. of. And like, for me, I had that point during motherlands of like, it was still too fresh for me and I could not deal with any, anything around motherhood, mom, anything uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. I was like, we need to stop. We need to stop this right now. <laughs> right. Right. And I think this is a part. And the reason I'm asking you to bring this up is a lot of times, you know, there's this assumption around, online gaming is dangerous and causes people to become either hurt or themselves become violent and all this sort of stuff. And, but people don't understand that, you know, a good storyteller or GM, DM, whatever terms you want to use does have mechanisms if they're good and understand this, right. In order to provide protections, if you will, stated by the people who are playing the game. And then what is, um, take this, because I think the other thing is, you know, concern about gaming and, you know, self-harm and and suicide that, again, sort of people make, well, okay, I'll just say generalizations about, you know, if if it's happened once, then it, then this thing has caused that. 
So Take This is a, is a nonprofit, which is the first one of its kind to help gamers with mental health issues. There's a stream ambassador program, which I'm part of, where as streamers, we basically say, hey, this is a safe place. But we also say that we are not professionals. We are not clinicians. Mm-hmm. We're not psychologists. We're not therapists. So if someone does pop into chat, be it a longtime community member, someone who just pops in, we get resources and training of this is what to do. Ideally, should someone come in and say, I'm in crisis or I'm having a bad day or, and it's terrible because I have been on stream where people come in and you don't know them. You even, unless it's like someone you actually know, mm-hmm. you don't know if someone's coming in and, you know, I don't know why people do this, but they come in and they're seeking attention. Maybe they're bored at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there, there are people who are honestly in crisis and, and it's kind of a double-edged sword because you create a safe space for people and they get comfortable and some people get too comfortable and they come in and start doing what is basically trauma dumping mm-hmm. because they feel like this is a place where I can come in and just word vomit how terrible my life is. Mm-hmm. And it's okay because it's safe and it's like you're then not thinking about the other people in space with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Take This has resources, there's trainings for the ambassadors and also, I'm on the board as of a year ago mm-hmm. in February. Take this when it's not the end times. They have AFK rooms at conventions, so a quiet spot. So if you get overwhelmed, mm-hmm. there's too much stimulation, you can go, you can have some tea, you can take a nap, you can color, you can just sit there and zone out and no mm-hmm. one will bother you. Mm-hmm. And then they usually are in the diversity lounge at, at every PAX, of, yeah. except Australia. Mm-hmm. And just being a, a point of reference and resources for if someone in your community is struggling, if you're struggling, here are places that you can go. Yeah. And, you know, and ideally if someone in your community is struggling, you can then point them to resources. Cause even if you are someone who is a mental health provider, you're a clinician, you're trained, you're not that person's provider. Correct. Yeah. And that's what we um, try to, to get everyone to understand is that one, a streamer is not a mental health professional, or even if they are, because mm-hmm. some members of Take This that are not part of the ambassador program stream and Take This has its own stream channel, they're not your provider. They keep coming right. into a stream and asking for mental health advice is not the way to do it. Yeah. You know, and it's not because we don't want to be helpful, but we could inadvertently make a situation worse if we give someone bad advice. Yeah. Or, you know, what a lot, I've seen some streamers do, which is blow it off as a prankster as somebody's mm-hmm. trolling what have you mm-hmm. so take everything seriously but offer resources yeah and i and i really really again so so much appreciate this so when i was at uh, comic-con watching um motherland i was also looking at it on twitch just to see kind of how it all like comes mm-hmm. together sitting in the room and seeing what other people were seeing that they couldn't see when I was sitting in the room. I mean, but they could see it, Mm -hmm. you know, and what I couldn't see was how there were messages coming in from take this about like, how's everybody doing? If you need any help, and I thought, okay, this is what the public may not see is happening and thinking somehow this is the quote unquote wild, wild West and nobody's paying attention to how people are doing or not doing. And, you know, these kind of uh, things can, um, you know, be the cause of harm rather than having um, something like take this as a resource for folks who are online. The other thing I wanted to talk about was what are some things that you still think need to happen in this space? Like when I do cosplay and people know, yes, I do cosplay. I go to a lot of, Comic Cons, in which 
where are the people of color? Where are they? For me, I, I pick purposely, um, I bend my characters in lots of different ways, right? I'll take, you know, maybe a, a, a pop icon or an icon who's in popular culture, I'll put it that way. And I'll bend that person into a black person in the way that I want. So, um, but I've, I've seen it where people will take on like characters, you know, anime characters, superhero characters, and be told, but you can't be that character because that character is not black. So what, what what more can we be doing to kind of um, and again I don't I don't think we need to flip this space but have this space yeah just be in that space and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. Um, I think I, I think there's a lot to to do there. There's a lot to unpack because I I don't know if you got this as a kid or a teenager, but I got a lot of oh why do you want to go to sci-fi and why do you do this? That's that's white folks stuff or nobody plays D and D. That's some white nerdy stuff. Yeah. So getting away from the idea, and I think it's happening more now finally that the kind of stuff that we're into cosplay, tabletop, anime that that's a white folks thing. It's getting away from that first and foremost. But also, I don't know if I've ever said this just flat out. I am afraid to try cosplay because I'm black. I'm larger. And also, I just don't know how to sew. And I don't have time or space. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, just but also just seeing the vitriol that mm. black cosplayers get. And it's like, all of this is made up. Why do you think I can't? be Frodo or something mm-hmm. like all these characters that everyone's so mad about <laughs> they they imprint on it and again it goes back it circles back to our initial start of can I play this if I'm white I'm like why can't I play and enjoy this as as a black person because if I did try to cosplay it and enlighten my skin one that's colorism but two you know how many people would be real mad that <laughs> a black person did that or you know it's it's shifting the culture to understand that one we ain't going nowhere we nerdy too because mm-hmm. I know more black anime nerds now yes. than I did in my twenties mm-hmm. so it's just this idea that accepting we're not going anywhere we've been here and that's the thing that people act like black folks just suddenly discovered anime in the last five years it's like oh no we've yeah. been here yeah. So shifting the culture and the perception of of the nerd culture, which I'm always a little like cringy about saying nerd culture because so many people make being an oppressed nerd into their personality and their presence. Mm-hmm. And it's like you nobody ever shot you for being a nerd. I hate to tell you. Yeah. And nobody chased you down the street and yelled at you for being a nerd or or hung you or lynched you. Mm-hmm. Because people want to act like being a nerd is so, they're so, so oppressed. And I'm like, no, actually, you're not. You're, yeah. You're, yeah. Um, in the scheme of things, yes. Right. In the scheme of things. But it's like, I always just kind of like, I like being nerdy is a subculture. I'm he- always hesitant yeah. to say nerd culture because mm. then people get in their fields and are like, well, I, you know, I can't talk. You know, I grew up when girls would laugh at me if I said I played D&D and I'm like, that was high school. You need to let that go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this idea of the nerd is a super oppressed dude in his mom's basement, that image needs to stop because that ain't been, mm-hmm. that hasn't been true in like 30 years. Mm-hmm, it barely mm-hmm. was true when that was like all the movies we grew up with, Revenge of the Nerds, all, Poindexter, all those stereotypes. Yeah, It's like the dude that sits across from you in the cubicle, for all you know, he could be some Naruto hardcore stan that spends right. his weekends at the anime con and you'd never know. Right, right. 
and just yes. getting yeah just getting away from this idea of shame of or it's childish i think a lot of people also look at anime gaming video games in particular as a childish thing you're supposed to grow out of as responsible adults uh-huh. but as a responsible adult i actually have the money to enjoy those things that i didn't as a teenager or a young yeah. adult uh-huh. all the expensive nerd stuff that you know, or the stuff that I can get now, I can go to a con and buy some nerdy, cool stuff. Couldn't do that mm-hmm. when I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's just getting away from the idea that it's childish is something you're supposed to grow out of. And just realizing Black folks ain't going nowhere, and we have just as much right to the space as you do. Right. And when we do make a space just for us, make something that is all made by Black folks, people of color, that unlike a lot of people in space, we're not trying to exclude you. We're just trying to make something that speaks to us and our experience. Yeah. You get to play with shiny toys too, but there is something you're just not going to get as a black person, as a non-black person. Yeah. And thank you for calling it a subculture. I really, I'm, I'm going to take that now and like change my language up because I think that's, you know, such a better way of articulating kind of where it sits within sort of a culture frame. And um, again, you know, thank you for all the work that you've been doing for uh, your nonprofit of I Need Diverse Games and you know, really helping us sort of see the power of our own stories and then finding ways to take those stories and represent them sort of in this uh, community. So is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with at all? <laughs> yeah, any last thing that I haven't covered? You know, as usual, remember that don't be surprised when you find a black person who's into ner- the nerdy stuff and that realize we've been here, you know, we wouldn't have cartridges if it wasn't for Jerry Lawson, the video games we grew up with, those Nintendo cartridges you had to blow on to work. <laughs> a black man created those who mm-hmm. reverse engineered an existing product and made it happen. Just realize that, you know, a lot of cultural things and phenomenons, black culture and creativity informs it and it's stolen from us. And then it becomes overused. And everybody's like, oh my God, I'm so tired of fill in the blank. And it's like, but you stole it from us and o- overused it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is, you know, stop being surprised that we like nerdy shit. <laughs> stop being surprised. Because <laughs> I can go to Target right now and get a D&D starter kit. I would never have thought I could do that as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the last thing is people talk a good game on social media about, oh my God, Black creators... You know, we got to support everybody. But then we know for these 28 days, everybody's gonna be like, oh my God, black folks, black folks, yeah. we got to support you. Support black creators all over Twitter, all over Facebook, whatever. And then at 11.59.59 for March 1st, <laughs> then it's gonna be like, but women and then black women will be excluded from this equation. Mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. queer women, even more so. Mm-hmm. So... Remember, we exist outside of the very short month that we get each year. Yeah, yeah. And go educate yourself. Stop expecting us to educate you for free and doing the emotional labor. Snap, snap, clap, thumbs up, all of that. Those are my sort of affirmative yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for the wisdom dropping. I mean, I could 
I could go on, but we're not going to go on because we're running out of time. But um, I just really want to thank you for joining me um, today. And I'm so glad um, we had that happenstance meeting in the restaurant that kind right. of, yeah, because it was like, hey, you need to come to PAX. It's like, what's PAX? And I show up at PAX. So you're really helping me grow in my nerdy subculture. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. I'm so glad that we got a chance to chat and just hang out and and stay connected because a lot of times you'll meet someone at a con and never talk to them again so this was dope yep thank you and for our listeners make sure to join us next week on unapologetically black unicorns